Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And we got the news this week, John, that the name Sugar House is going away for consistency across Rush Street's properties. The casino is being rebranded as Rivers Casino Philadelphia. On the one hand, I kind of like the name Sugar House. On the other hand, at least the name Rivers has application since the Delaware River runs right behind the casino. Uh, It's not like looking for grizzly bears in Memphis or lakes in L.A. or jazz music in Utah. Uh, What what do you like better, John, Sugar House or Rivers Philadelphia? Uh, And is it time for a Gamble On rebrand? I mean, to your point, Eric, uh, Vancouver has grizzlies, uh, or at least somewhere in in British Columbia has grizzlies. Um, (laughs) Minneapolis has at least 10,000 lakes, they tell me. Uh, New Orleans has great jazz, I know for a fact. I've been there. Um, You know what's Rivers? Um, Everybody. So I I get (laughs) multi-state branding, but Rivers, that's about as generic as it gets. Um, As for Gamble On, I think it's a brand that's on its way to being iconic, because anything that lasts a few years these days gets that name. Um, Right. (laughs) <laughs> but I think Sugar Bets does have a certain ring to it, and sort of an open open alleyway for us now. That's true. the the sugar The sugar prefix is once again unclaimed. Um, I, I was thinking that if if we yeah. had to rebrand, we could go with something like the two guys slowly and painstakingly turn ten thousand dollars into ten thousand dollars podcast. Uh, it, you know, it's it's a, it's a little lengthy. <laughs> it needs spo- to be worked. Spoiler alert! I could tell. <laughs> yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a spoiler for sure. Yep, definitely. Um, as people may be able to tell, the sound uh, is a little different than usual this week. John is uh, on the road, so uh, we have a slightly different connection than usual. As uh, John is doing the John Brennan conference thing, uh, but uh, nevertheless, uh, sound quality good enough and uh, so we shall soldier on here and uh, we want to thank everyone for joining us for episode number 44 of what is still known for now as Gamble On. Uh, If you missed any of our previous 43 episodes they're all available on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. Uh, Yes that's right uh, some gambling related materials are hard to find in the Apple App Store but not this podcast. Uh, Coming up a little later on the show we'll be joined by our colleague Brett Smiley of SportsHandle.com. Brett is one of the top writers and editors in the gambling space, and we'll be chatting with him about sports betting legislation progress in various states, as well as the ongoing data mandate wars that he's been covering. Uh, First, it's been another busy news week in the world of gambling, so let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. The American Gaming Association released its annual State of the States report on Tuesday, an exhaustive 116-page report on the industry. And, of course, this was the first year legal sports betting factored into the report outside Nevada. Some key takeaways from the report, and and by the way, thanks to our colleague Brian Pempis for sorting through and finding these. I can't claim personally to have read all 116 pages. Uh, commercial casino gaming revenue was up 3.46% nationwide in 2018 over 2017 to a new record $41.68 billion. Sports betting accounted for 1.03% of total casino win in a partial first year in just a handful of states. Nearly 90% of people surveyed said casino gambling is an acceptable form of entertainment, 
but just 35% actually visited a casino last year, which you can interpret, if you wish, as a sign that there's a big untapped market for mobile casino games. Uh, And taxes paid on gambling were up 3.05% over 2017 to $9.71 billion. So lots of numbers there, John. Uh, None of them earth-shattering, I would say. Uh, But still, what stands out to you? Uh, Eric, definitely the 90% say casino gambling is acceptable. Opponents uh, of that notion are dying off in droves, frankly. I mean, 20 years ago, I would talk with seniors at casinos for a story, and they'd be very nice, but they wouldn't give their real names because, after all, we can't let our neighbors know that we're here. And if they <laughs> see each other, I think they just pretend that they didn't. But um, now millennials are the new cool kids in town, obviously, and they're rather libertarian. Uh, even as they're less likely to visit a casino themselves, you know, this runaway train only goes one way, and fair or not, Opponents of expanded legalized gambling in the United States are fighting a losing cause. I mean, the demographics just don't lie. Yeah, I mean, the the more that casinos pop up in different places, the more the stigma surrounding them uh, fades away. I, I look at that that sports betting uh, percentage, the mere 1.03%, and I look at that and say, you know, certainly 2019 will be more telling than 2018 in terms of what percentage of revenue and wins sports betting accounts for. But then again, when we get those numbers, uh, we'll probably note that 2020 will be more telling than 2019. So it, it's just kind of a, a gradual progression on that. That front. Uh, yeah, with any luck, uh, it'll take another 10, 15 years to <laughs> finish this up. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It's just uh, each, each year it'll creep a little closer to that fully mature sports betting market. Um, and I'll just throw in one more important stat that Brian singled out in his article. Uh, he said the industry provides slash supports more than 730,000 direct, indirect, or induced jobs, generating $34.34 billion in wages, benefits, and tips. Uh, so that's always a strong argument in favor of casinos and gambling that, you know, while casinos do come with certain obvious negatives, uh, they create a lot of jobs. And um, I don't I don't think it's a hot take to say that jobs are good. Uh, yeah, I think I think the uh, the war is over, basically. Um, you know, the United Kingdom has been mystified by the United States for the last 15 years about why they don't allow all kinds of gambling. And uh, now uh, it's finally coming to fruition. Again, whether people like it or not, it doesn't matter in the sense uh, the war's over. Yep. Okay, uh, our second story, uh, moving on to more numbers here, uh, this time focused on a single state. The May revenue numbers for New Jersey dropped on Wednesday. uh, And in a related story, tomorrow, Friday, New Jersey will celebrate one full year of legal sports betting as it was last June 14th that saw Monmouth Park and Borgata open up their sports books. Anyway, the numbers for May looked a lot like April, uh, up from $313.7 $313.7 million in sports betting handle to $318.9 million with one extra day in the month. Uh, and the online percentage keeps creeping upward to a new high of 82.6% of the handle with uh, the Meadowlands slash FanDuel slash points bet combo continuing to separate itself from the pack, earning $8.6 million in revenue for the month, which was more than half of the whole state of New Jersey's $15.5 million take. Uh, Meanwhile, looking beyond sports betting, casino win was up 15.3% over last May, and internet gaming win was up a stunning 57.8%. And uh, interestingly, when you look at it casino by casino, 
Uh, many of the ones without a strong internet presence are down year over year, whereas the big online casinos are thriving, and of course there are new casinos like Hard Rock and Ocean accounting for some of the overall gains. Uh, so, John, uh, what are your takeaways from all that? Well, you know, Eric, one of the themes here, I'm down in Atlantic City for the uh, East Coast Gaming Congress, and uh, one of the themes on Wednesday uh, is really an explainer to industry folks around the country who are coming here that more betting lifts all boats, basically. You know, I dealt in the 1990s with one of the rebuilders of New Brunswick, New Jersey, that's the home of Rutgers University, and it was a similar confusion. You know, the, the few downtown restaurant owners at the time figured that every new restaurant would cost them lots of business, picturing like a, uh, a same-size pie, and they just get a smaller slice. And so I had this multimillionaire struggling to explain to them that the more rivals you have in that kind of business, the more money you all make, because more and more people come downtown all the time. They try all the different restaurants, and and um, and that's what's happened actually in that in that city and other cities around the country. Uh, it's the same here. You know, brick and mortar gamblers have kept their allegiances with online gambling, and the new online gamblers are using their loyalty points to try out the casinos for the first time. So. You know, now, given how little savings the average household in the U.S. has and how gaming spend has increased, um, this may not be the ideal result for U.S. culture. But um, to underscore my original point, let me do what I want. It's becoming the coin of our realm, and in some ways it will work out great, and maybe in some ways it won't. But uh, the fact is that the more gambling is available, um, the more money is going to be spent and the more money these uh, companies are going to make. So sports betting is not going to cannibalize this, and, and online casino gaming is not going to cannibalize that. It's just going to be more revenue for these companies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a couple of uh, additional notes here about some specific casinos. On the uh, online casino front, Golden Nugget continues to dominate. But uh, here's here's an interesting uh, and, and important stat that our colleague Bill Grinstead dug out uh, for an article that's uh, posting around the same time as this podcast will go up. Uh, Hard Rock's online casino has been on a steady decline each of the last three months, uh, and Ocean's online casino has mostly been declining from month to month. Uh, this is troubling, that, that the two new kids on the boardwalk are not experiencing online casino growth. So that's uh, something to keep an eye on there. Yeah, and, and their uh, brick-and-mortar uh, situation also. I mean, uh, you know, again, the, the Wall Street guys have always thought seven casinos was probably the ideal number. That's what we had after we lost five of them uh, a few years ago. And then these two new ones opened a year ago next week, basically. And then I was nine casinos. It's a lot. And uh, even on the online space, it's starting to get crowded a little bit. So uh, um, that's that's you know that's free enterprise. It's going to be a challenge for them, and uh, we'll see if it works out. Yeah, I mean to go back to your restaurant analogy, uh, more restaurants to bring people to the area is good, but there's always sort of a breaking point, I guess, where you have too many restaurants and they can't yeah. all stay in business. And so this this may be showing us that, like you just said, that that seven was the the right number. Uh, nine might be a little high, but we'll see. Uh, exactly how it all shakes out. Yeah, and it goes back to the jobs you mentioned. We're talking about thousands of jobs in each case. So uh, yeah. obviously, uh, you know, there's concern for the region if uh, if the nine can't uh, survive. But uh, we'll see what happens. Right. All right, for our third and final story this week, uh, let's get away from all the numbers uh, and talk about a, a fun, crazy sports betting story. Congratulations to the St. Louis Blues on their first Stanley Cup title. Uh, my heart goes out to the poor, tortured sports fans of Boston who just can't seem to catch a break. And huge congratulations to Scott Berry, the better who's been in the spotlight the last few weeks, uh, especially the last few days, for betting $400 on the Blues in Las Vegas when they were in last place in January, getting 250 to 1 odds. 
refusing to hedge, uh, mostly because he was afraid to jinx the team. And it worked out. He won the full $100,000 minus taxes, of course. Uh, Other people bet on the Blues at long odds, but none of those that were reported had quite as much to gain as Barry. And he was offered as much as $75,000 minus fees on PropSwap. He could have placed like a $10,000 hedge bet on Boston at somewhere along the line. He didn't do it. And the Blues won in seven games. Now, I wrote a story yesterday about these long shot futures bets in general after talking to three serious sports bettors, uh, all of whom have been on our podcast, actually. Rufus Peabody, uh, Brad Feinberg and Captain Jack Andrews. And they gave some interesting perspectives with the two pros, Rufus and Captain Jack, indicating they tend not to make bets like this because they don't like to have their money tied up all season. It's more a recreational bettors pursuit to put 50 or 100 bucks on a long shot team and see if they can get hot. Um, anyway, back to the hedging or lack thereof. John, if this had been you, how do you think you would have approached hedging? W- would you have sold the ticket, uh, placed a big hedge bet? Uh, wh- what do you think you would have done? Yeah, this this, this one really annoys me, this story. Um, at least with that Tiger Woods uh, winning the Masters better uh, from Wisconsin. It was better understood by the general public how absurd it was that he was betting money he didn't have, basically. Mm. And uh, he got lucky, but it was a stupid bet. Um, this is stupid, too. Uh, yeah, our colleague Dan Bach from uh, Roto Grinders noted that uh, you know, with the Blues up 3-2 in a series, you get another that prop swap you mentioned for $75,000. I mean, I'm not saying he has to go 50-50 completely on his edge. I mean, you probably should, though, if you don't have an undying love for this team. But all in, I mean... It's just irresponsible gambling. I'm not going to high-five blues guy. It'll probably, <laughs> he's probably going to lure future dreamers into doing the wrong thing and then losing everything uh, yeah. because it makes no sense. I mean, uh, if, he, if he wants to bet $100,000 on a hockey game, if he has the money, that's great. Uh, he only bet four hundred, so guess what? He doesn't have $100,000 to bet on a hockey game or a hockey you know, futures bet. Right. So I, I just, I'm just annoyed by this story. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's really the key is that obviously the hundred thousand dollars is significant money to him and uh, to not hedge out and and lock in some kind of profit again, even if, you know, you bet on the you bet on the Bruins for 10K or something so that, okay if the Blues win now, you're only winning 90 instead of 100. But if they if they don't win, you're at least getting, uh, you know, a, a decent score out of it. Yeah, that's that seems crazy to me. And, you know, if if this guy was a multimillionaire who went ahead and threw in a little $400 bet uh, and wants to ride it out to try to win his 100000 or nothing, then then it totally makes sense. But uh, for the average Joe uh, to yeah. not hedge is is crazy. Um, and I, I know how you like to hedge even even your tiniest of bets. So uh, so there's no way there's no way in hell you would have been riding this one out. No chance. I mean, you, you walk out with the 50 grand and, or 75 grand, whatever it is, and, and you read down with it. Then you just watch the game and enjoy it. You, I can't. I can't believe a guy betting four hundred on a futures bet is sitting there with a hundred thousand dollars on the line. It's just. It's just insanity. Yep, it is. Um, a, a couple of interesting notes from talking to my trio of betters for the article. Um, first, uh, Brad Feinberg does make a lot of bets like that. This he he currently um, has a bet on the Minnesota Twins. Uh, he claims it was at a hundred to one. Uh, so he's uh, he's enjoying that one so far. And and he considered betting on the Blues, but he got there a little too late and. and by the time he looked at it, they were down to about 40 to 1, 50 to 1. He didn't think it was worth it anymore. Um, but he, he pointed out specifically that he loves these bets in baseball and hockey because 
any team that makes the playoffs has a chance in, in those two sports. Yeah, absolutely. And and Brad had a great quote about uh, about Barry not hedging. Uh, I think he might have been even angrier th- than you are about this. He was angry at, at Barry for betting with his heart and not his head. Uh, Brad said. Yeah. It infuriates me as a gambler that he thinks he's betraying his city if he hedges. I wish I could speak to the guy and tell him the city of St. Louis doesn't care if he hedges his bet. Uh, I thought I thought that was really good. Uh, absolutely right. I, I I I think I may be angrier than him though. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> okay. conveying my full anger then. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's 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 close. You guys are both angry, is the bottom line. Um, but uh, one one other note. Uh, is that uh, Peabody likes a good long shot bet, but he prefers short term long shots. He makes bets uh, like that on golf tournaments every week, where you make your bet, your money is only tied up for a few days. Um, but but the pros really across the board apply the same principle, which is that if you see a bet that's say 500 to one, and you think that team or that golfer is really 400 to one then it's a good bet. Even if it's going to lose 399 out of 400 times, uh, it's, it's a good bet. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. We now welcome to the show a man who is breathing rarefied air as a two-time Gamble On guest. He is the founder, editor-in-chief, and CEO of SportsHandle.com, who could have been a lawyer, but instead is out here grinding on the sports gambling journalism streets, our colleague Brett Smiley. Brett, welcome back to Gamble On. Great to be with you guys a second time. I don't know, maybe it's a third. I get uh, some type of present, and I'm very much happy to not be grinding or billion hours as an attorney. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we, if when we have you back a third time, we will uh, brainstorm uh, something to uh, to give you as a gift. But for now, you get nothing except uh, the pleasure of our company for the next few minutes. Um, so we had uh, Matt Rybaltowski on the podcast three weeks ago, and we asked Matt about the shakedown fees piece for May that the two of you co-authored. Let me get your perspective. Anything surprise you about the reaction to the article? And have you had any second thoughts since then about using terms like shakedown or, or strong arm? Or do you stand by those editorial decisions? Well, first, I'll say the the story is ongoing. Uh, I read one report that the NBA indeed shut off the feed for some sports books, but that conflicts with what we've heard. So those negotiations between uh, sports books and NBA is, uh, I guess in progress, even though there's only, uh, one or two games left and MLB, they give a deadline of the all-star break. Uh, and for anyone who, who didn't read that story, it's, it's basically, uh, the NBA and MLB are, are demanding that any sports books, if they want access to official data, uh, separate from having an agreement with the data providers, one of them is Fort Radar, they need to have a so-called direct license with a the leagues. So now that the the dust has somewhat settled, uh, no, I, I don't think shakedown or strong arming, a couple of terms we use, uh, are, are unfair or inaccurate. It's the the leagues basically said, you know, although you have an existing agreement with uh, with the data provider, you um, you know, it's a new era, and you must now have an agreement with us as well. And of course, that agreement entails payment of a either a flat fee or or a percentage of betting handle. Uh, and this was made, you know, they, they didn't like the terminology threat, but if you're telling somebody you're going to cut it off, if you don't do this, I mean, that's a threat. Right. <laughs> so certainly there was a, you know, 
obviously definitely some thought into our phraseology, but looking back, I, uh, I think we would have done the same. And as far as the reaction, you know, it was, I think most people took it pretty seriously because this was, um, in our view, a, a pretty big moment, um, in that the, uh, the so-called integrity fee and the, the data mandate were merged. Right. Um, you know, the, the legislator, every legislator so far has said, I'm sorry to the integrity fee, but if they're tying that to, to a data mandate, making it a precondition of receiving the data, that's, um, I mean, that has the effect of basically circumventing the legislature. So we thought that's a pretty big deal. Um, and there were some observers who, who didn't really see this as much of a thing other than a commercial negotiation. So all I can say to that is we respectfully and vehemently disagree and we'll continue to, uh, to doggedly pursue where this goes. Good. All right. Yeah. Now, Brett, uh, pick a state, any state. Uh, actually, I'm going to say pick two states. Um, which one do you think stepped forward in the past year and got something done on legal sports betting, kind of being surprising fashion? And then which one seemed to be cruising to the end zone there and kind of tripped on its own shoelaces on the 10-yard line? The one that really surprised me was Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, they were a very dark horse, you know, coming from the, uh, the, uh, the number 20 gate at the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> and uh, I don't think they were on anybody's radar, but they, um, and what's unique about that is that, you know, it's, it's not a gaming state. I think they only have a lottery, nothing else. I don't think they have racetracks, uh, but they, um, they had momentum. They, uh, and it's, it's the first bill that will allow mobile only or online only sports books in the absence of having any brick and mortar presence. So it's, you know, when it popped on the radar, I, I didn't really take it seriously. But, you know, as we continue to monitor, uh, they got it done. And it was uh, it was not a long session. I think it closed at the very end of, of April. So that's going to, you know, regulations are underway and they should be set for football. So kudos to them, although there's certainly things in there that uh, the stakeholders don't like. The um, There is that uh, data mandate there. So we'll keep a close eye on that. The, uh, the tax rate's about 20 percent. And the licensure fees went up a decent amount, but uh, they got it done. So kudos. And uh, John, what was the uh, the other end of that? Well, about kind of the opposite, which which they look like a, a given to be already have have sports betting by now, and instead they something happened where they it didn't happen at all. Yeah, I think uh, you know when I when I asked you and some others to rank our top fifteen for states most likely to legalize, I know I had Connecticut fairly high on that list um and there's one problem and it's a big one they can't get uh the the two very powerful and big tribes the uh mohegan sun that's not the tribe it's the massa quit or something i totally botched that (laughs) and also the um the foxwoods indian nation but you know they um they believe that they have exclusivity according to their compact for sports betting but then you have mgm in the mix and they want to build a casino in in bridgeport uh but the uh, the tribes want to build one in East Windsor, and it's um, you know they did have a decent bill on the table, but just couldn't get it done. And you know it's uh, it's maybe next year. Yeah, I fig- I figured uh, your answer for that question uh, was probably going to come down to either Connecticut or I thought maybe you you might have gone Michigan, which was the one that that had had the ball on the on the two yard line and then uh, fumbled <laughs> it to continue John's uh, end zone analogy. Well, actually, I'll, I'll I'll continue that one. That that was the screwball because they passed something at the end of eighteen, and then the uh, the governor, the outgoing governor, as uh, 
he kind of flipped the bird on the way out and he vetoed it. <laughs> right. well, I, I don't know that. I guess an official review or something <laughs> that took it away. Right, right. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's make this uh, about you, not about the industry, for a, a minute here. Finish these sentences. My greatest gambling moment was blank. My most degen gambling moment was blank. Uh, greatest gambling moment. Well, I can't. I'm gonna have to give you two. I can't leave okay. out Super Bowl 42. I'm a Giants fan. Uh, I do bet with my head, not my heart. You know, I will often bet against them if uh you know if that's what the numbers dictate but uh you know when i was uh, when i was still scraping a few bucks together whenever 40 super bowl 42 was uh went pretty heavy on them and and was rewarded handsomely they were 12 and a half point underdogs uh but more recently you know deciding which side to bet on this most recent super bowl i was just going back and forth with my brother on our third conference call and finally we're like you know what? Screw it. And we went all in on uh, the second half to have more points scored than the first half. It's uh, <laughs> it's a bet that's paid off in probably eight of the past ten Super Bowls. Uh, but as you recall, there was no well, there was no scoring in the first half except the Patriots scored a field goal. Right. So so we were dancing, and then we had to wait until about seven minutes left to finally <laughs> there was another score that was. I mean, the total was like fifty-one. It was terrifying, but uh, it paid off and uh, made quite a bit. Okay. Oh, and most uh, DGen moment, um, probably a couple Super Bowls ago. It was actually Super Bowl weekend. I always take a trip with uh, some old friends, and uh, I didn't even know the name of the UFC fighter. It was one of the UFC events, and I probably put about 100 bucks on him. And uh, <laughs> I don't remember his name. We just called him Bear Claw because it was one of the heavyweight fights. It was a big boy, and, uh, and we lost. But it was, um, it was an exciting 15 minutes. <laughs> okay, but you were, you were just throwing a dart on that one. Complete dart. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, for the small world, I was actually in Glendale, Arizona, covering that uh, giant Super Bowl that you were so thrilled about. So uh, I was not thrilled that the game went down to the last minute because that's uh, kind of tough on deadline for a <laughs> yeah, Super Bowl. Right. But, uh, and that happened again in Indianapolis a few years later. I was at that one, too. So, oh, well. Um, anyway, uh, so, you know, I wrote an analysis on usbets.com on Tuesday morning about the New York State Gaming Commission finally approving uh, their sports betting regulations for four upstate casinos. Um, it's been more than a year since I attended at a gaming conference up in Saratoga Springs and found out after some conversation with insiders that legal sports betting was not going to be coming to New York in 2018, which kind of shocked me uh, at all. And then ever since I've been raining on the parade, unfortunately, of a segment of my Twitter followers uh, again and again clarifying that mobile sports betting is not happening in 2019 either. Um, are you as pessimistic as I am? Namely, I think no mobile period while Andrew Cuomo was governor. And is there anything else about the New York overall gambling saga that uh, also intrigues you? Well, if I'm reading your Twitter feed correct, you're probably about a 9.5 or 9.75 out of 10 on this on a cynicism scale for uh, yeah. New York mobile sports betting. I guess I'll I guess I'll uh, go in at about a seven. Um, Cuomo, you know, judging from afar, he's gone from not caring about sports betting to being lukewarm. Um, I don't know. You closely followed the most recent. Hearing, I, I don't know how compelling the argument is that they do not need a referendum in order to pass a new law effectuating it. Uh, my hope and, and belief is that maybe when Pennsylvania's mobile market is fully opened, and I think Massachusetts will get on board this year too, you know, maybe uh, maybe there'll be uh, a little more speed toward it. I don't think Adabo is going to give it up. Certainly Pretlow, even though he's always over optimistic. 
um, is going to give it a buy there. Uh, when does Cuomo's term end? Did he just get another four years a year ago? <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know. It's just like as long know. as he's governor, he's governor. Remember, Mayor Bloomberg only got two terms, and then he right. got the city council to change their laws so he could be mayor for a third time. So yeah. I, I don't know how much more time Governor Cuomo has yeah, left. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's unfortunate. Uh, you know, there's... I guess if there were a will, there'd be a way, but he just kind of, uh, he shrugged and he called, uh, he called potential revenue a rounding error in New York's budget. I know it's frustrating a lot of people, my brother included, he's in Westchester and I need to place bets for him on Sundays. Um, but you know, these, the four commercial casinos that hopefully will be live before, before football season, that'll give them a taste of something. And, uh, you know, maybe that's a stepping stone towards, towards uh, sports betting proper. I looked it up while you were talking there. Uh, your your instincts are correct. We've got a, a lot of Cuomo left ahead of us. 2023 is when his term ends. So Long time. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, great stuff. Uh, thanks, Brett. It's always good to talk to you. Before we let you go, uh, anything big coming up on, on Sports Handle in the days or weeks ahead to keep an eye out for? Well, I'll, I'll go back to the beginning. We, uh, you know, I said we were going to doggedly cover the uh, – that whole data stuff, and I know it's uh, a rather small-ish segment of uh, the population out there that is interested in that type of stuff. Uh, but we have another another story in that series coming uh, involving some of the the materials that one of the leagues is using to try and to try and attract so-called authorized gaming operators. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's been, I think, a really eye-opening series of articles so, for, so far. So looking forward to that next one. Uh, thanks, thanks again for coming on the podcast, Brett. A pleasure to be on, and I'll, I'll look forward to my jacket when I make a third. <laughs> thanks, <laughs> Brett. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. Before we dive into the state of our gambling bankroll, a quick word uh, on an answer that Brett could have given uh, but didn't about his most degen gambling moment. Uh, he organized the office pool betting on the date and time of the birth of our COO, Robert Delafov's daughter. Uh, that's that's fairly degen uh, right there for all of us who were involved. Uh, she arrived late Tuesday night. Um, had it been about four hours later, Brett would have won the pool, but instead I scooped the pot. So uh, congrats to me. But more importantly, congrats to Robert and his wife on their new addition. Uh, apologies for making a low stakes game out of your daughter's birth. Uh, yeah, Eric, uh, I did not participate in that, I will note. Uh, no, no objection to it, but uh, I guess I'm kind of squeamish that way, but uh, it worked out wonderfully. Uh, uh, call me old school. I'm surely not next gen, but maybe I'm not degen either. Then. <laughs> there you go. Uh, okay, now on to the bankroll. Uh, I had a great week. You had a lousy week, but we're a team. So uh, together, we, we had a mediocre week. Um, much of your success earlier in the NHL playoffs with the Bruins got canceled out as we lost uh, $155 on them to win the series and an another $112 on over five goals in game five. Uh, you also foolishly bet on Roger Federer to beat Nadal in the semifinals of the French. Uh, I, I wasn't a fan of the bet, but... It was only 10 bucks, so uh, not going to get worked up about it. Um, meanwhile, I scored two wins. I bet Nadal uh, about a month before the French Open began at, at plus 130 to win it. So we won $130 there. 
And I took the Raptors to cover the way too wide five and a half point spread back in game four. So we won $100 on that. All in all, we're down 47 bucks for the week, leaving us in the black by a mere $127 with $1,505 tied up in futures bets, including a big $440 on the Warriors. So we could easily be in the red by next week's podcast. Anyway, that leaves us with $8,622 available to bet. And you're up first, John. Now, uh, first off, my over on game five, anyone who saw that uh, game, Bruins just dominated and should have had seven goals. And there were three or four posts. I mean, it was ridiculous. Uh, so I'm happy with that. The Bruins in the series, um, those are my two most comfortable losses of the year. I mean, those were the right picks, and they just didn't win. So uh, I've made some terrible picks, plenty, but uh, those ones I don't uh, worry about. So, um, uh, but as far as uh, going back to golf, though, um, okay, yeah, I did have Justin Rose to win the Masters, and he missed a cut. So speaking of embarrassing picks, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to try um, uh, Tony Finau, a modest top ten at plus a hundred at plus five hundred. I I think he's going to be top five, but I'm being conservative, making him top ten. Hmm. Okay, uh, so going going back to the Tony Finau, well, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he he owes us one, so we'll see. He does. He does. Now, this is my last chance to make a basketball bet this season, uh, so I shall do that. Uh, In real life, I pounced on the Raptors plus three and a half points in game six the minute it opened. I figured that number would drop, and it did. It's now a two and a half point spread. Uh, I still lean toward the Raptors, but that full point uh, is, is a big one, so I'm staying away from that. Instead, I'll bet $110 to win 100 that Stephen Curry goes over 32.5 points in Game 6. That's at FanDuel uh, that they have that uh, line. Over at DraftKings and Sugarhouse, the line is 33.5, and the over pays even money. I think I'd rather pay the $10 tax to win if he just in case he lands on exactly 33 points. Um, but anyway, Curry knows that, that he and Clay Thompson are the whole offense tonight. It's a must win. They've had a couple of days off uh, and we'll have a couple more after this. So I figure Steph is probably playing about 42 minutes tonight. Um, you know, I doubt he's getting up to 47 points again, uh, like he did for game three without Clay. But I would expect him to score in the mid to upper 30s. I'm taking over 32 and a half points. All right, Eric, I, I think my last pick here is not necessarily contradicting yours. Uh, I like Kawhi Leonard, uh, uh, 100 at plus 100 to go over 31 and a half points in the game on uh, DraftKings. Um, he's just got the heart of a lion. There's something about him. Uh, the late bloomer, I, I almost can't believe the story, but um, he just he makes it happen. So uh, uh, him 100 at 100 to go over 31.5. Okay, yeah, that certainly does not contradict mine. If anything, I think if if Steph is scoring a lot, uh, then then the pressure's on Kawhi to score a lot and vice versa. So they could sort of fuel each other. I mean, Kawhi is going to contribute big time one way or another. It's not always with points, um, but uh, I I like that bet. That's solid. Uh, For my second bet this week, I'm stealing your move. Uh, and if you, if you want to do the Frank Costanza and say, that's my move, uh, you're, you're entitled to. Because uh, I'm betting golf. Um, uh, I listen to a lot of sports podcasts. Uh, a lot of them talked about the U.S. Open this week. And one name that kept coming up was Patrick Cantlay. Uh, experts seem to think he's slightly underpriced. And even if he's unlikely to win the tournament, everyone seems to be heralding his consistency, saying he's a guy who doesn't bogey much. I have no idea if that's accurate. Uh, what, is it, John? Is, is that a, an accurate assessment of the type of player he is? Uh, yeah, I, I have I have confessed that I'm in a weekly PGA Tour golf hole, 
And uh, he just won a couple of weeks ago. And the reason I didn't pick him is I already picked him twice and I was saving him for the U S open and then for the end of the year. Um, so it wasn't, I did not pick him a couple of weeks ago because I didn't like him. I didn't pick him <laughs> because I like him that much that I picked him this week in the U S open. So uh, I like any can't wait pick this week. Okay, good. Uh, so I'm, I'm trusting the wisdom of the crowd and it sounds like you're part of that crowd. He's plus one ninety on FanDuel for a top 10 finish. So I'm risking a hundred dollars to win one ninety. Uh, so we'll see how it goes and, uh, and whether you allow me to bet golf ever again after this. <laughs> right, we'll see. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. And with that, John, take the reins. Take us out. Well, Eric, to you know, wrap up my earlier points about how the world, including the U.S. gambling world, is uh, becoming a lot different these days and how there's no stopping it no matter what, um, whether people like it or not. Um, a certain pre-baby boomer wrote, um, and I won't sing this, um, you know, come gather around people wherever you roam and admit that the waters around you have grown and accept that soon you'll be drenched to the bone. This is for the anti-gambling people. Uh, if your time to you is worth saving, you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone for the times they are changing. And with that, until next time, gamble on.